With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Hello and welcome to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Great to have your company. It's great to be back in 2021, starting the show again and uh, doing it in a fresh new year. Uh, we've got a big show coming up today. There's plenty happening in the world of sport. There's a bit of tennis, cricket, uh, and there's a bit happening in the footy world as well, in the AFL. Uh, so we'll be talking about that and maybe some other things as well along the way. So I hope you enjoy the show. And now we're going to welcome the special guest, the regular on our show, Mr. Charlie Gill. How you going, Charlie? I'm going well, Max, as always. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, going well, thank you. It's um, it's exciting that we're back back on air and uh, we're here to be bigger and better. So don't miss any minute of the show because it's going to be big and uh, we're planning to get some massive guests on as we just spoke about off air. We're, uh, we're about to send um, the world into shock with uh, what, what's coming up on the Sports Hour. Um, plenty of things and, uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited Um What's, what have you been up to throughout the break, Charlie? And, uh, yeah, what are you looking forward to um, coming on today? Um, well, I mean, the, in the break, I went on holidays, of course, um, after, you know, a year of a strange year. Pretty cliche answer, but, um, mm. yep. And starting uni in uh, March, doing film. And at the moment, I'm just... Um, doing a couple other things with music and um, trying to start a community newspaper for the area I live in. But that's another story. Um, in regards to sport, as this is the sports hour, it's not the music hour or the newspaper hour. Um, I am awaiting the commencement of the footy season um, with uh, a lot of excitement wanting to see just footy in general again, but I want to see how Carlton can do this year. A lot of expectations this year. Um, and um, loving the Australian Open, as I always do. I actually went to the tennis about two nights ago. I saw Dasha Gavrilova win in straight sets, and I saw uh, the Italian Berrettini win, and I saw Kokonakis win his game, but he went out today uh, in a... Five sitter to sitter pass. Um, but yeah, that's what I've been doing in my break. And yeah, in terms of sport, I'm looking forward to the footy season in a big way and also loving the tennis at the moment. So yeah. I'm playing quite a concerning amount of stick cricket on my phone. Like it's becoming quite a problem. But that's oh, right. also a story for another day. Um, <laughs> the, the game is called Stick Cricket Super League. And yeah, it's taking up all of my time. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's great, and um, yeah, it has been an interesting time uh, with the tennis on, and um, yeah, as you said, we're pretty excited for the footy to get started again. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's been a bit of news in the media recently around footy, and it's sort of been, um, I think, sparked up by. It's fair to say, probably the Black Lives Matter movement, and. Um, Sort of that's that's sort of given it 
um, the momentum it's certainly deserved. And um, it's sort of come to light uh, via Heritia the Lumba, who used to play for Collingwood, premiership player of the club. And he sort of brought up a few um, instances where he was racially um, vilified and sort of, um, you know, disrespected in that regard for his, for where he comes from. Um, now he's, 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 there's been a lot of sort of talk around this and um, Collingwood actually came out with the do better report um, that was widely um, put out in the media and, and it's been spoken about. Um, and it's interesting um, because people are, are going either way and, um, you know, the Walid Ali interview, I don't know if you saw that, that's been, that's come out. Um, but it, look, there's some of the things that are being spoken about and especially from Lulumba, what he's saying about his experiences at the Collingwood football club, it does not sound um, pleasant at all. And what are, what have been your thoughts, the way Collingwood have handled it and sort of uh, what, what Lulumba has said about, what his experiences were and Collingwood's response to that recently and at the time. It's a pretty serious topic. These are hard questions, um, but it's great that we're talking about it, I think, Charlie. Um, yeah, and what are your thoughts yeah. um, about the response from well, I think Eddie leaving was the right thing. Um, just not just with the Lumumba stuff, but also, um, you know, the past stuff with um, uh, Adam Goods and sort of Caroline Wilson and just like a number of sort of gaffes or some people would say worse than gaffes, um, certainly. Um, uh, and they, I think, all sort of have been there for ages and then this um, Lumumba stuff is sort of, you know, it was the last straw and after that press conference that everyone um, thought was terrible, um, he sort of had to go um, just to sort of save face for Collingwood, um, mm. uh, who have had a um, tumultuous, you know, past five months or so with the uh, list management as well. Um, uh, so even though Eddie... Um, I'm sure a lot of Collingwood fans will say, um, you know, he did a, gr a great job for the club, like the longest serving president, um, got your premiership um, and was there for, I think, at least five grand finals, um, which you either all lost, I think you all lost aside from your premiership. Um, so he clearly did his job well as president. But, I mean, I guess he didn't do his job well uh, when it came to uh, handling all this racism stuff mm. um, and the buck stops with him, I guess, as president. However, the thing I always thought was um, how come I was always, because Eddie's a pretty easy figure to vilify. I mean, he wasn't the most popular man um, uh, before, you know, the most recent situation because of his you know previous comments and also just because he was a symbol of Collingwood and most people just don't like um, Collingwood because of football's tribalism. Um, but I was always sort of curious um, 
as to why sort of some other figures in the club escaped criticism or escaped the sort of criticism that Eddie faced because, um, you know, everyone was going off at Eddie and sort of deservedly so. Um, but, you know, things like um, Lumumba being the the butt of racist jokes um, uh, or being racially vilified, those are things that, while I said, you know, the buck stops with Eddie, those are things that Eddie's not going to witness as much being, you know, in his suit, you know, in the boardroom. Um, that's something that the other players, um, or more specifically, the captain and the coach are going to um, be aware of. And Buckley, I think, did he deny in his first press conference um, that he ever heard Lumumba being called that? And I mean, I'm not calling him a liar. I mean, it's just sort of interesting. And also, I guess, Pendlebury is the captain um, while it was all happening. If he was, was he the captain back then in 2010, maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure, but he Maxwell was. maybe. Oh no! But yeah, um, Maxwell in 2010. Yeah. Well, Maxwell was the Premiership captain. Yeah. Um, but. Um, yeah, I totally yeah, agree. Like, I don't really understand. Like, you know, like I'm not saying that you know Eddie's got, you know, like the rough end of the bargain and that he's being unfairly attacked. Um, but. I think that because he's such an easy figure to sort of focus um, all the anger upon, um, it has um, sort of removed any, uh, you know, like culpability for um, Buckley or Pendlebury or those sorts yeah. of figures because and it's just so easy to – It's everyone loves to hate Eddie, like let's be honest. Um, not everyone, but – a lot of people. So I just find it interesting. Because um, he's a that, man with power, I think. That's why people Well, yeah, enjoy. exactly. He's yeah. a man with power. Like, he's a very recognisable face on the footy show and on um, Hot Seat. Um, he's done a lot of so, good things as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, well, I'd like, that's what I, what I was going to say is, like, yeah. I'm interested to hear your uh, perspective because my brother actually heard... Um, Nick Hatsoglu on radio the other day talking about the same issue. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts because, like, you know, yeah, you and your dad and your family are big on um, multiculturalism um, and stuff, uh, but you're also very big Collingwood fans and um, you've defended Eddie in the past and, you know, perhaps rightly so in certain circumstances. So, yeah, I'm interested to hear your perspective. Yeah, I think... Firstly, what you've said, Charlie, I think is really important, really, because I don't. I think it, um, Nathan Buckley and Scott Peterberry have gone under the radar through all this, and it's probably fair to include, well, not really, but you could include Nick Maxwell into that conversation as he was captain in 2010. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting that they sort of haven't come out and said anything um, and yeah, what I think about this situation was, and Eddie's sort of a big figure through this because he's the one that's responding publicly to this and people are seeing what he's saying and, and he's a leader. He's a leader. People listen to him. People want to know what he says. And, um, when he's saying, uh, that, that, 
it's a proud day for the club on a day where the do better report um, comes out. I think that definitely got, it definitely did get um, sort of misinterpreted in a way because look, that do better report is a great thing. And it's something to, to sort of be proud of in a way that they're coming out and they're trying to make the world a better place for people of different races. um, Um, Yeah. But yeah, sorry, you go on. And obviously that, I was sorry for interrupting you there, Max. That was childish of me, but um, that's okay. Um, I was just I was liking the direction you were going in, and I just wanted to uh, add to it, um, which is that I think that he uh, obviously phrased it poorly, um, but I don't think anyone really thought that he was actually saying that it was a proud day <laughs> um, for the club yeah. because of you know the racism that was associated with the club. Um, I think people were just sort of angry with um, the way um, he was trying to spin the entire circumstance in Collingwood's favour by saying, um, you know, saying it's a proud day for the football club. Like you could sort of communicate that same idea in different words and it would probably be, I guess, applauded by a lot of the people that were deriding what he said. Um, But it was just saying it was a proud and historic day, you know, is making it sound like Collingwood, you know, they went above and beyond to sort of stamp out racism in the club and that Collingwood are, you know, Mm. oh, so special when, you know, the report was leaked. Um, This problem doesn't seem to have occurred at any other club. Um, Collingwood have sort of a history of being sort of somewhat associated with racism with um, the, uh, you know, Nicky Winmar, um, stuff. So I think maybe it was just Eddie's attitude going into that press conference. Um, and I'll be honest, because I haven't actually had some, what's a press conference. I've just read articles and read the quote, which I'm going to imagine is what a lot of the people reacting to the press conference did as well. Um, but I could just tell from that one quote, like a proud and historic day for Collingwood that um, it's, um, you know, he was approaching it with the, the wrong attitude like a little bit more sort of humility, um, a little bit more, um, I guess, maybe not guilt's not the right word, but sort of, I guess, comprehension of the entire situation beyond it just being another chance for Eddie to prove, um, you know, how great Collingwood are. Um, That was a bad attitude to have and it was probably his downfall. Yeah. And I think, absolutely, I, I... I agree there. And I think the one part, it, you got to, in all this, you got to address the, the, the victims of racism um, and, and sort of the, the people that, like Haritia, for example, he's, 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 he's gone through all this stuff, um, all this bad stuff that he's, he's sort of brought up. Um, how about address it, Eddie? And, and I think that's where he went wrong. He, he didn't, sort of apologize and acknowledge, acknowledge what had happened in the past. Um, and I think he sort of skipped that step and he sort of jumped, jumped, jumped the line, jumped the queue and he's tried to ignore that, ignore that and try and keep it positive. But you can't do that. Like, especially when someone's gone through, um, as bad as what Haritia is saying, um, you need to address that. 
Now, I know Heritier didn't want to um, be involved in the investigation, um, which, which slightly, I think, it's tough from the outside because he might not want to be involved in the investigation because he doesn't want to deal with the people at the Collingwood Football Club like Eddie Maguire because... Because as, as it is, it's systemic. So even if he goes back into the system and starts talking to them, it's going to be, it's going to bring back memories of like, like how it was in the past. And he's just going to suffer in a way again. Um, so I think that needed to be acknowledged what, what sort of the club did in the past. Um, and from there you, you go forward and then you look to improve. But I don't think you can just go from from doing doing bad and then and then not acknowledging it and just trying to you know it's like no it's like it's pretty much like not it's just hiding it's hiding from it's hiding from what you've done and it's not good for the members and everyone else if if they they don't know what's happening inside the club um, and the club sort of just tries to hide it you want to be open and honest about that. And um, especially when it's something so sort of sensitive, um, there's people of colour that follow the, follow the the game and the Collingwood Football Club, and it's it's, fair, it's only fair for them to know what is happening, um, whether it's good or bad. Um, and I sort of think that got missed. Um, well, I haven't like I um I'd be interested to know. Um, and again, I haven't read the report or. Um, read everything that Lumumba has said, so I'm probably not qualified to, you know, or even watch a press conference at press conferences. So I'm probably not qualified to talk that much on it. But I'd be interested to know, um, sort of what Eddie is thinking to the whole thing because, I mean, like I know it's not about Eddie; it's about Collingwood's racism and it's about um, Hudi Lumumba. But um, I reckon, you know, I saw people. Um, criticising Eddie in his last um, press conference for not sort of giving one mention to Lumumba and the whole situation. Um, and I reckon that was potentially, and this is just maybe a theory born out of what I was saying earlier, which is that um, perhaps a lot of the people that escape critici- criticism um, and should have, you know, deserved that criticism like Buckley or some of the leaders in the playing group, like Eddie was maybe thinking, um, I'm being like, and I mean, he can't really think think this that much himself because he's got such a history of saying bad things. But maybe he was thinking, you know, like this is, you know, this, you know, Lumumba being called a chimp and like being racially vilified that happened, you know, uh, amongst the players and amongst the coaches. Um, that if that's going to be like any one person's fault, like you'd probably say it's you know Buckley's or Pendlebury's or the two of them together. And Eddie having to resign is sort of making him the face of um, racism at Collingwood. Um, and, yeah, while he's, he has not helped himself at all with, you know, saying what he did about goods and his other comments, you know, about Caroline Wilson and stuff, um, he might have been thinking, you know, in himself how unfair um, it was that he's being sort of made the poster about boy for Collingwood's racism when the um, uh, sort of specific to the Lumumba stuff like that didn't really happen on his watch as much. I mean, it did like the buck stops with him as president, but um, again, like I just think 
he would have been a bit annoyed at that, um, considering that it was probably um, other people's fault to a greater degree. But like I said, he hasn't got much to complain about. Like he should have gone. Can I just say, like he should have gone before all this um, for the good of Collingwood. Um, so I'm just saying that I'd be interested to know like what he was thinking. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm not like, like he shouldn't be that surprised. He just have to leave. I mean, he said so many things over and over that, um, you know, like you can't really keep on getting away with it. Yeah. And um, I think he does a lot good. Um, Eddie. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'd like to know what you, th- you think about, um, like, you know, he's obviously made an incredible contribution to the club Collingwood. Um, so I guess it's sad for a lot of fans, him leaving in these circumstances, but I think he should have left a while ago anyway. Um, yeah. Well, but, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, he has done it. I think, yeah, as I said, he's, I think he's done a lot good, but um, a lot of the time I feel like it can be talk without a lot of action. Um, um, and I think that press conference he had sort of represented that um, because he's sort of trying to, to ignore what's happened and try and move forward. And, and I think by him sort of leaving the situation sort of shows that, that he, he doesn't want to be involved with it. And, and Lumba today, he said, um, he said that uh, in a tweet, I'm just trying to find the tweet, um, but uh, the club cannot simply use Eddie's departure to say they are moving on without addressing the extra damage he has caused in the last two weeks alone. Let's not forget the report states that Collingwood Football Club's racism has set dangerous norms for the public. So Eddie's departure cannot be used as sort of a way to say what they're mo- Collingwood's moving on from this. Yeah, um, good point. A, yeah, and Lumba, he, he's a very intelligent guy. He, this, this, this is Collingwood seriously need to address this correctly and, and act on it and do things. Um, and what an opportunity now during the Black Lives Matter movement and that sort of, or, or everything that's going on in the world to do that. To do that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think it's a wake up call to all the other AFL clubs as well um, to, to sort of ensure that everyone's welcomed in and uh, that there isn't racism um, existent and yeah, um, I think that's that's a that's a definite uh, important point to add. Um, yeah, uh, but look, I think I hope I hope to see things happen happening throughout this AFL season um, in regards to this space, um, especially at a time where it's it's being talked about. Why not? Why not? Why not support support it? It's it's only good. It's not there's nothing bad about it. And if you if you're hiding away from it, um, then yeah, it's sort of. And Australia is, is sort of multicultural. There's a lot of different cultures. A lot of different people play the game. The game itself is only in one country. It, and look, I think 
if the AFL ever wants to get ahead of itself, I'll go back down to look at yourself. You're, in, you're, you're sports playing in one country. I'll go to Europe. No one knows about this. Um, so I think this space is, this is no more important diversity in the AFL than any other sport. Um, yeah, it is so important. Um, and I think that, yeah, it, it needs to eradicate any sort of racism and, and get as many people from anywhere around the world to play the game. The game tried to get moved to China, um, not, not transferred, but expanded. And it's trying to expand. And uh, it's really important, this space for the game, for the future of it. Um, definitely needs to expand. And if I was going into the AFL now, that would be on the agenda for sure. Expanding the game internationally, making it a sport that competes with every other sport in the world. And how economically, that would be pretty good for the country. Imagine That's an an interesting um, discussion to have and we'll probably have it another day because there's a lot of... uh, um, opportunity there to have a good chat about it because to be honest I'm not sure if I would fully agree with you there regarding the international expansion of the game I think there's a lot to be said for keeping this game uh, domestic um, wow well but I'm well, not sure if I actually fully think that I'm just providing the uh, other side of the coin but yeah we should uh, have that conversation on a, the next show Look, I'll let that sit with you and I'll also let it sit with the listeners and uh, we will be addressing that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting topic, um, one that I'm sort of strongly about, but we'll leave it there. There's been oh, pl- yes. <laughs> plenty said today and it's uh, yeah. a pleasure to have you back on, Charlie. Um, and uh, I hope you have a wonderful next few days and uh, thanks again for coming on. That's all right. Thanks for having me as always um, and have a lovely evening. And now we're going to welcome our special guest onto the show, Patrick Morrow. How are you going, Patrick? Very good, Max. Happy New Year. Happy uh, 2021, mate. Uh, thanks for having me on today. It's great to have you on again and uh, we're back now, the sports hour in 2021, fresh new year and uh, very happy to have you on, Patrick. Um I wanted to start off today talking a little bit about uh, test cricket and uh, what's happening in the cricket world. Uh, there's three tests going on at the moment, and uh, one of them is uh, a test match between uh, the West Indies and Bangladesh. And uh, there was a, a player who made 210 on debut. Uh, did you did you get a chance to watch that match and uh, uh, witness uh, his innings? Yes, I did. I had a chance to watch some of the innings uh, through a dodgy stream. Unfortunately, Cricket Australia's uh, rights for foreign test matches don't get the West Indies versus Bangladesh show. You've got to do a bit of the old-fashioned uh, Google search cricket live streams and then find it. But I did watch Kyle Myers bat for the West Indies, the uh, debutant who made 210. Uh, he's from Barbados, uh, has got an average of 20 at first-class level, so surprisingly enough, Got on to a few and made 210 in his, in his second innings. Uh, in the first innings of his first test match, he made 40. Uh, and also bowls a bit of handy off-spin at the same time. So uh, he was up to 16 and none for 11 off his couple overs. Um, it was an interesting test match, Max. Uh, Bangladesh uh, 
first, batted first on a pretty much, a, I'd say, a road. Uh, and made 430 with the likes of Mehendis Hassan and Shakib Al-Hassan uh, making most of the runs. Jamal Warrican was the best bowler with four for 133. Uh, Hassan made 103, and uh, Shakib Al-Hassan, one of the best all-rounder cricketers, made 68 off 150 balls. Uh, the West Indies in reply in the first innings made 259. Uh, Craig Bathwaite uh, made 76. He was top scored. Uh, and then the top bowlers for the, for the Bangladeshis was uh, Mahendi Hassan, the off-spinner, 4 for 58 of 26 overs. Uh, again, just proves the point that the subcontinental conditions support those type of bowlers. And uh, from there, Bangladesh looked like they were controlled when they declared an 8 for 223 uh, with McNeil Huck making 115 off about 182 balls. So they did bat a bit slower than I'd expect. Uh, yeah. when you got a good lead, but they gave themselves a good crack. The best bowler for the West Indies was the big man, Rakeem Cornwell, 3 for 81, 27 overs. And he opened the bowling as well. I'm having a yeah, look. Yes, so I did see that. I did see that. So it was a very spin-friendly pitch, um, which definitely helped Bangladeshis, especially when it came to their bowling, in, especially in their, in their first innings. Um, but then the second innings, well, the West Indies had 395 with... Uh, two and a half days to bat, basically, and uh, somehow pulled it up with about 15 balls to spare, one by three wickets, while the man at the moment is Kyle Miles. Uh, amazing double hundred on a tough pitch that was literally turning square from ball one on day five. And, um, you know, the, the likes of Mahendi Hassan and Tajul Islam were, you know, very, very dominant with the ball. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, you know, you're looking for the scorecard. Uh, it looked like a Bangladesh win uh, with them. With them, I, I think the score was at one stage five for a hundred and ninety or two hundred, and I think the next best bat after Kyle Miles with two hundred and ten was, uh, and then another uh, well lesser known player for the Windies, uh, Nakum Bonner. So he made eighty six off about two hundred and forty five balls. So they did bat slow forward, and it was a tough innings to chase it down. Not very unlikely both sides yeah. to chase it down on day five. So. It's a bloody good effort for a side that was expected to get whitewashed in this series, uh, considering who they were bringing in for the squad. Um, it's a very good effort. So, yeah, and it was a cracking game of cricket, and it's, that's what we want for test cricket. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And um, there was Cole Myers, exceptional, 210 not out on debut. That's the highest, mm-hmm. the highest, um, it was, it's the highest, the fifth highest score on debut by any test player. Um, and also, it's the highest score in a fourth innings on day de- by a debut player. So that's pretty crazy um, that 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 to start your Test career that way. Um, it's pretty cool, and um, I know he was enjoying it. Um, I actually f- gave him the follow on Instagram, and um, he was getting plenty of um, of uh, kind messages um, of support from others, um, but. Yeah, that, that was quite exceptional, and um, there was another test match that was equally probably as good and as exciting, if not more, and uh, it was Joe Root's 100th test, and uh, he, uh, he he did quite well, England got the win, um, and Joe Root, another double century maker, 218 on debut, um, did you get a chance to uh, watch this one, and what did you make of it? Excellent uh, play by by England. Um, I thought India were, uh, let's say, very sloppy. Um, 
and that's that's not being uh, that's being uh, very uh, I'm not being kind about that. Um, to all Indian fans out there, if you're wondering why the team lost, or you don't you don't um, you, in, any, in any test match you need to go first. And England made the statement straight away with 578 in first innings. Joe Root uh, once again proves again why he should be in the sub four of the best four batsmen in the world. Um, he made 218 off 377 balls, looked really in control. Um, another one who I'd say would be probably uh, would have been kicking himself on day one was Dom Supley. He made 87, looked really good, and then got trapped by Jasper Boomer with a steering Yorker. Um, so, uh, you know, and Ben Stokes again, 82 off about 118 balls. Um, again, just proves the point how Ooh, great yeah. uh, the English side looking and you know, the likes of uh, Don Best as well, 34, about 105 balls, really helped England push along to make a massive total of 578. Yeah. Uh, and, in Indian, and in Indian reply, well, the, the wall himself, Pajara, made a lovely 73 with about 143 balls and then got himself out of the weirdest way possible. Uh, looked like India were going to be in control of this one, chases down and make England try and bat, you know, two and a half days to force the draw, but... Uh, Pachara going out the weirdest way, a half-tracker tried to pull it, got hit hit the ball straight to the guy in short leg and it came off his helmet. Um, and then, so catch off uh, uh, Burns there, which was a bit odd. But um, another guy mm. who starred in the Australian series as well was Washington Sunda. Made 85 of about 138 balls, not out. Looked really compact, really, really correct cricket, and he'll be someone to watch for the future. And uh, also, again, Richard Pard, 91, his go, die, live attitude showed up once again. Unfortunately, he should have maybe pushed on with the 100 and went too many big shots. And just to finish off, uh, Ravi Ashwin, 31, spent 91 balls. So India looked like, you know, they got back in the contest, but then England England found themselves in a bit of, a, in a, in a bit of strife with Ravi Ashwin taking multiple wickets in the first couple of overs, and he was actually turning it, um, as I was saying with the Bangladesh test match, it was literally turning square. And um, The likes of Ravi Ashwin and um, Shaziz Nazim looked quite comfortable on this pitch, so ended up making it look much harder to bat on in that uh, second innings for India. And, um, I, didn't ex- I didn't expect India to maybe probably probably not win the test match and probably draw yeah. uh, considering the fact they were chasing a mammoth total of 420 so India yeah. reply um, while well, they tried to hang in there for a while Coley hanged in there for 72 off about 104 balls Schubert and Gill 50 off 83 balls but the man in the match I think is got to be Joe Root and James Anderson James Anderson again once wind back the clock to what he used to do reverse swinging the ball um and just made made the thing talk for the whole day. Three for 17 off 11 overs. That's including his first innings, which was uh, two for 46 uh, off 16.5 overs. So not a bad day's work for Jimmy Anderson. And once again, he got proof again. You know, they're, they're going to be thereabouts. And, you know, this, this makes it interesting for the Test Championship uh, later because if England do win the series, they'll be playing New Zealand at Lords. Uh, and, you know, it'd be yeah. big... The big stuff for the, the uh, palms. Patrick, I wanted to ask you this question about the Indian team. Now, um, they went over to Australia, as as we know, and, and um, many would know, India won the series over here in Australia just recently. Quite a remarkable achievement from India, who were undermanned, and they just came over. They lost their, their king, the King Kohli, 
and uh, they still managed to do it um, in the remaining three test matches and win the series or or re- retain the, uh, the 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 trophy. But I wanted to ask you now: Should Coley have come back and taken the captaincy after uh, after Ajinka Rahane performed so well? And you know he 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 did his job in Australia, winning 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 the trophy, and uh, and winning a few Test matches. What do you think? I know hindsight's easy now, but um, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, I think Colby's got to be captain. Uh, I don't I don't I don't think Rahane should just be taking the job, uh, giving the job after a few Test matches. Uh, there was a there was an agreement after the first Test match that Rahane would take over. As normal protocol would happen with the vice captain and captain normally. Uh, do I think Coley should give it to Rahane? Not really. I think Coley likes the job, and I think he'll stay on. Um, but let's be honest. The first Test match in India, I think the pitch. I think the interesting was the one thing that was came out of it was the pitch and also the SG ball. And uh, Ravi Ashwin had a lot of uh, commentary on this after the match and said, uh, "I don't like the SG ball anymore. I don't think it does enough for us." And Without the use of, uh, you know, saliva and sweat, it hasn't helped. Uh, also, I don't think the pitch suit of the Indians immensely looked like a, a, a concrete um, slab, <laughs> to be honest, for well, the first day and day and a half. So it, it didn't do what normal Indian pitches would do, especially in Chennai. It normally, it normally spins from from ball one. So um, for it to be a bit of a do, uh, docile wicket for a few for a few days didn't help. And then I think also. They kind of got into England's hands with, uh, you know, having a second innings total chasing down 420. It's a long total to chase, and they were never going to do it. And you know, James Anderson, you know, just winds back the clock. So, yeah, I don't think Coley's. I don't think Coley's going to. Uh, I think Coley's. Coley's going to gear himself up for a big second test, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they do win it in the end because they'll they'll make the pitch. I'll make the pitch um, do it for them, I think. And also, with the Australian tour that happened, I think they gave us a bit of a false sense of security in a way. Um, they thought, oh, we're, we're, the best, we're the best team when they realised that, you know, the second test we got outplayed by a while. So that could happen again. Mm. You know, you just don't know. And also, with, Indians ta- with India's talent um, coming through, um, you know, let's see what happens in the second test. And, you know, apparently Jimmy Anderson might be getting a rest. So... That makes it a bit odd at the same time. So, yeah, so it's an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you've saved all the journalists from uh, jumping out of their seats, writing headlines. Patrick Morrow believes Rahani's the man for the captaincy. Um, so, well done. You, you, you steered clear of all that. Um, yeah, and, yes. look, I agree with you. I, tr- I tried to tempt you into, uh, into putting Rahani's name up there, but I think... Coley, um, what he's done for the country and what he's achieved, he deserves uh, a spot uh, and he deserves to keep his spot as captain. Um, and yeah, 100%. interesting 100%. thoughts there. Um, I do like Rahane though. I loved it when he captained, but when you got King Coley around, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it can be a different story. Uh, what did you think? What did you make of uh, Australia and the South Africa tour, which didn't end up happening? Uh, um, to be fair to them, I would say not a bad call considering the um, uh, issues at stake with it. Also, I don't think they were very. Uh, I don't think. I don't think India were not India. Sorry, South Africa weren't very uh, forthright 
uh, in what they were doing. I think Cricket Australia had a beat, bit of beef with the South African Cricket Board, uh, not to mention the South African Cricket Board's changed a bit over the time. Yeah. So Graham Smith's heading it, Yartalis left and then went to England and then there was a few other people who were senior up in South African Cricket deciding to leave. Um, so that doesn't help the situation. And then there's this whole unfortunate race card that's been going on in South African cricket where uh, there's been a preferential treatment for the African-type uh, players, the white players, and that's no, that's no that's no offence to any of those players who got picked, but there's been this massive shift in ideas and ideology, yeah. um, which is unfortunate. And then for them to say, oh, we don't want to play the Test Series, but... And then we also offer them to play in Perth, I find a bit odd. Um, you know, it would have been great if we could play a ser- could play another series. And I think the ICC might need to look into uh, probably, you know, the next next Test Championship would probably look into reserve reserve fixtures and maybe, maybe probably even just play those matches in neutral venues as what the Champions, League's, uh, Champions League and the Europa League are doing for the soccer. I know that Liverpool have got to travel to Hungary to play a game, I think, against RB Leipzig. You know, so they're trying to make sure that those things go ahead. I, I, there was no, there was no reason. If South Africa and Sri Lanka are able to play a Test series, I don't see the problem. Uh, but I think just, I think with general conditions there, I can see why maybe Cricket Australia are a bit iffy to it. Um, it would have been a really interesting series, just in general terms. I think Australia would have won comfortably, would have helped us win the World Test Championship. Uh, I think South Africa's team is pretty weak at the moment. Uh, they struggled against Sri Lanka and didn't look didn't look them didn't look like they were maybe five or ten ten years ago. Um, I think I think Australia I think it's Australia's lost opportunity there. I think if one thing I think that the Australian the South African cricket board need to realise if Australia are offering a chance to play a Test series in Australia. Uh, you probably want to take it more for the you know the marketing factor and the money factor at the same time. You know, I think the other argument is as well how many of those players want to do hotel quarantine again um, after an IPL and other certain T20 tournaments? They want to be in bubbles again. Um, so that was the other issue I think. And I think you know if that's what they want to do, that's that's fair enough. And you know if they think it's unsafe, it's unsafe. So go from there. And I think. I think there's just going to have. To, I think honestly, there's going to have to be a review by the ACC and sit down, and discuss these reserves, test matches. Where do you play them? Uh, and, and I think also, you know, if you look at the post-COVID situation, especially in India as well, it's quite quite amazing that they were able to play the test matches mm. uh, as they've been doing. And I think it's been great that we got to see India play England, even though it's no crowd. It's still great to watch. And Bangladesh and the West Indies. I don't think they had a crowd either, but I think. I think this is great for Test cricket to be still playing around the world, and you know you're going to have these issues at the moment until until everything's cleared up around the world. I don't think we're going to be seeing for any time soon the uh, you know the, the cancellations of Test series, and unfortunately that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I think you raise a great point about the South African cricket board. They're sort of under a bit of pressure at the moment, and a lot of change is happening. And uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of working through a lot, and uh, it could there could be a lot of sort of organisational issues around having a test series there, and with all the COVID that's happening, um, you know maybe it's the right call from Cricket Australia. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll sort of uh, I guess we'll find out um, in in time whether that was or is it wasn't the right call. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, lastly catch your thoughts on uh, the Australian Open, which has started. Um, it's gotten off the ground. Um, 
COVID sort of kept away and uh, it's been lucky to happen. It's quite remarkable, actually. It's like running a World Cup, having all these internationals coming down and playing in the tournament. Um, what have you thought so far? Anyone caught your eye out of all the players so far? Well, uh, last night's match has to be, talked, has to be spoken about um, with Nick Kyrgios, I think. Uh, it was a pretty epic game. Uh, two sets, one down. The comeback off match points um, to, to win it uh, was quite remarkable. Uh, Eric Hombay is a, a quality player. and um, Once again, just Kyrgios' fight and determination and also... You know, he's got, his, attitude, his attitude was still there on display, but once again, just showed why uh, he could be a genuine star. Uh, he's called my eye especially. Another one I'd also say would be um, Taylor Fritz, the American, the 27 seed. Uh, he's had a pretty... Uh, he had an interesting game against Opeka, the other, his fellow American, uh, Opeka, in uh, Raleigh Opeka in five sets. Uh, he won as well, had 18 aces, uh, first serve was pretty good, and you know he won most of his points on his first serve. So yeah, he was, wow, he'd be looking good as well. That was that was quite that remarkable. Was he won seven. He, he the, the games the sets he won was seven six and seven six, and then the last one was six two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a pretty odd one, and I think the uh, interesting one as well. Uh, the other one that was interesting that no one actually talked about was uh, Dominic uh, Dominic. Uh, Dominic team, sorry, uh, Novak Djokovic uh, was uh, pushed for four sets against the young American named TFO, uh, which I'm surprised has not been even mentioned, so that was the four yeah. sets, so it was one set all, and then Djokovic got, got on hold in the last two sets uh, to win it in four, so you know that's it's, that's what's been caught, catching my eye in the men's draw. On the women's draw, um, there was a few upsets yesterday, including... Uh, uh, I was going to say, I'll, I'll, get, I'll say Naomi Osaka won comfortably. Uh, Simona Halep nearly had an upset of her own against Tom Aladovich. Uh, and so Venus Williams, uh, she played with a lot of courage yesterday, did her ankle and pushed through two sets. I'm surprised she even got through them, even though she got, even though she got rolled. Uh, it was a good effort. Uh, the, mm-hmm. Maybe the most interesting one would probably be uh, Petra Kvitova. She lost to a little-known Romanian player Sorana Kresia in three sets, uh, 6-4. Uh, won the second set 6-1, but then lost the third 6-1. So mm. uh, there's a bit of bit of iffy there. And the other one I'd say would be uh, the Canadian um, Bianca Edescu, uh, who was a former USO, US Open champ, uh, lost to the Chinese Taipei player uh, Hugh Sui Wei yes. in uh, straight sets. So that was a pretty comfortable win for her, which is surprising for Brings back. Uh, Inesco was a quality player uh, and has gone to the gone to the heights of tennis. So yeah. it's quite interesting. And that uh, Swai, who she uh, she 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 doesn't she doesn't have the biggest power. She's not doesn't have a lot of height to her. I actually watched that game, um, but what she has is just a match. She's just a big fighter. She uh, she's good at returning anything that comes her way, and uh, yeah, she she'll. She'll play long games, long points, and win them. Um, and yeah. yeah. But look, I want to talk about the star of the show, uh, Nick Kyrgios. Tell me what you think about him. Now, He, what I found fascinating about his game last night was that he had a knee, knee issues um, towards in the first sort of three sets. And then when it, when it was down to crunch time, um, 
he sort of just totally forgot about it and just focused on playing. He, he totally forgot about the, the chair at the umpire and complaining. He just absolutely switched on and focused on winning because that's all he had to do. That's all he could do if he wanted to survive. That knee was non-existent. Yeah, that, that, no, no problems. He just absolutely turned his attention to winning the game. And I found that fascinating. When he's on, he's so on. Um, and if he can just do that more often than not, he's going he's gonna to win this. He's beaten Novak twice before. What do you, what do you think? What do you think, Patrick? The the show. Uh, he'll probably he'll probably he'll probably uh, well he's got Dominic Team who's arguably well, arguably going to be up there for a long time as a tennis player in his own right. Uh, I thought Kiros last night got very lucky. Eric Hombay did have match points. Uh, if anyone missed it, Hombay uh, did have match points in the fourth, and then yeah. Kiros to play those big shots. Uh, as Jim Curious said, to play those big shots down the line. Uh, the big forehand, the big backhand, it, it helped him. And then from there, switched on from there. I thought, uh, Kyrgios, as I say, they, they, you know, as I say, he brings pure entertainment to tennis. And I think he brings different fans to tennis. Um, there's an argument that maybe Kyrgios and Dominic Team should play on the John Kane arena, but I probably that won't happen due, due to the fact that Dominic Team is the third seed and probably deserves to be playing on the, on Rod Laver. Um, I don't think I don't I don't think I don't think that would help his game if they played at John Kane. Uh, I think Kyrgios loves that ground uh, arena. Sorry, uh, just due to the fact that the atmosphere is so unruly and so um, not tennis fan like. So he's so used to that, and I think yeah. something that makes me interested about Kyrgios, which is it makes him as a fascinating person. And if you had a psychologist sitting down, they'd say he's a fascinating person to look at. His attitude to playing the game is very serious, but his attitude to you know just general conversation seems like a you know a, just a normal just a normal person who's just playing this game. And uh, at the same time, I say wouldn't say normal. I wouldn't say normal person. I think he's a bit of a freakish player. But I think at the same time, you look at him, you go, yeah, you're a bit of a you're a bit of a flog at the same time. Um, and that's the and that's where I picture him. Yeah. Um, and it's not no disrespect to him. I think he's a quality player as a tennis player. I just think personality wise, if you if you're getting if the likes of Nadal and Federer and are looking at Kyrgios and going, well, what's this bloke doing for the hundredth time? Uh, that probably tells you something. Um, that probably he's probably just needs the attitude to be tuned up uh, tuned up a bit. And also, what I did like last night was maybe complaining about the lets. Uh, it's it's quite obvious they were lets. Uh, if the if the umpire's seeing on the on the uh, on the counter thing or the uh, measure, measuring thing they do to count what lets are, um, then probably probably need to let that go and just play the game. And I think what I didn't understand as well is the constant whining and complaining, and that's just something he needs to get out of his game because if he gets out of that game and finds the right coach and probably the right people around him, uh, he'll probably go somewhere. And I think he doesn't realise that yet, and I think uh, that's his issue. And I think, I think I don't think he'll beat Dominic team. Um, and if he does, well, good luck to him. But it's a tough game. Uh, team's a quality player. He proved it last year. Probably was probably was so unlucky not to win it last year against Djokovic. He looked really quality in the final. So uh, in the third round, it's going to be an interesting one. Uh, team team's got a big forehand and a big backhand. I don't know how Curios has played him for six years, so it's a long time. So the footage we we'll have to get the footage out to see what he's done since then. Um, but yeah, that's it really. Yeah, it's um, 
he brings entertainment, uh, and sometimes it's 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 not in the right way. Um, I, I agree with you, especially probably got a little bit over the top with the chair umpire and and all, all that that happened. But um, yeah. he's an entertainer, and that's what I really like about him. Um, but obviously, you want it to be in the in the right spirit. Um, and yeah, it's exciting um, because. He, he's matured, and I think he's continuing to mature. Um, and yeah, he, he's done a lot of he's done good things. Uh, he's done a lot of bad things as well. But um, geez, he, he's exciting for the game. He's good for the game, I think. Um, and yeah, it's it's going to be good to watch him and uh, Dominic team. Um, I think the talent's certainly there for Kyrgios. It's just whether uh, his mind's in the right place and um, if he can get the job done. Um, yeah, and that, yeah, the, that'll... the other issue will be his head. Um, if I was if I was the opponent of Kyrgios, you'd just wait till he has a tantrum and probably probably you know when the pounce there. I think that's something where on Bay could have taken it to him yesterday and probably probably could have won the fifth set. Um, all he had to do was break him, and he had that opportunity in the last game. Yeah. before Kyrgios uh, got away with it, you know. So you know, some just basics. A bit of luck goes away. The basic tennis goes Kyrgios' way as well, you know. Mm. They had a backhand that should have gone over the net. So, you know, some stuff stuff goes away. I think the only the only thing that's going to go for Kyrgios is if they change the ground, uh, or the arena, sorry, to Melbourne Arena, or it's called yeah. John Kane Arena, uh, if that's where they want to play the match. Considering the fact that Djokovic is playing Fritz, um, you've got uh, Milos Raonic playing Flutnius, and then uh, Grigor Dimitrov's playing uh, Garina Buliska. And you got zeros as well. Uh, you might they might have to put it on John Kane, or they probably they'll probably play Kyrgios and team in the in the middle of the day, and leave Djokovic for the night. Uh, considering in fact Djokovic would prefer to play night uh, as yeah. the finals at night time, so uh, gives him the extra preparation if you know what I mean. So yeah. they probably might do that and then force the others onto the other courts or do the other way around. So be interesting what will happen. Absolutely, it's uh, it's exciting. I uh, if I was an opposition player, or you know, um, who's he playing against uh, next game? It's uh, Dominic Team. Dominic Team. That's it. If I was him, I wouldn't want to leave the game to the last set um, and the deciding set uh, because the crowd factor is massive and it's it's heavily in favour of Kyrgios. And I think it got to um, it got to him last night. Uh, Humbert, I think he just sort of suffered under the pressure. But uh, yeah, anyway, we'll leave it at that. And uh, Patrick, it's great to have your thoughts on the show today. And I uh, appreciate you coming on. And uh, it's good to be back on air with you and uh, sharing our thoughts again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, 100%, Max. Pleasure to be on. And uh, we'll talk soon. And that rounds out the show for today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, plenty of interesting discussions happening there throughout the show uh it's great to be back and uh we'll be back next week as well so uh remember to tune in and uh keep an eye on our twitter page at sports FM for updates on what's happening uh and uh yeah as i said i hope you enjoyed the show and i look forward to catching you soon and that was the sports hour on Brimbank live on live fm with thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Mm-hmm.